should appear at the Lisbon Harris, the show that connects authors, songwriters, and poets with their global audience. So I can continue to bring you high caliber guests, I invite you to go to iTunes, click subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with your friends. I'm delighted to introduce children's author Patrick Guest, father of three, Olympic physiotherapist, children's author Patrick Guest, born into an ever-loving, ever-growing family, seven siblings, in the beachside suburb of Seaford, Melbourne, Australia. Patrick was blessed with all the things that make childhood magical, plenty of family, friends and freedom to explore this wonderful world. An assortment of careers along the way, cobbler, elephant washer, failed accountant, anatomy demonstrator at Monash Uni, national team physio for Mozambique. Little wonder he's been dubbed the Forest Gump of Frankston. <laughs> Adventures and stories seem to follow him around and now he's writing them down. Five books signed with little hair in the past two years. Many more in the pipeline. Patrick Guest, welcome to Writer's Tete Tete, Elizabeth Harris. Great to be here, Elizabeth. Great to have you here, Patrick. <laughs> On this lovely sunny day in Melbourne, believe it or not, we've yeah. got the sun. <laughs> Patrick, we recently discovered we attended the same secondary college. We did. I had to smile when I read you initially became an accountant. Yeah. Please tell my listeners about that transgression oh. and how you escaped. Okay, the transgression, let's start with that. Um, look... Fear, insecurity, the, um, I think it was a recession kicking in, but, but really I think as a 17 year old trying to work out what subjects to choose and how do you make that decision at 17? So you did economics like I did at that school, was that right? Economics, yeah. accounting, yeah. Uh, legal studies, maths and, and it was probably really inspired at, at that time uh, by my favourite TV show, Family Ties. Yes. Michael J. Fox. Wasn't he great? He well, was right, so. Yeah, well, at the time, uh, if I think back now, what a dork he was, but, um, and it probably says something about how much of a dork I was and still am, but I thought he was cool. He was funny, and you're funny. thought he was cool, and I thought, well, who do I want to be like? And I thought, oh, Michael J. Fox. So I, I went down the, the corporate path, which was a terrible decision. I don't regret it. It, it, it um, I made friends for life, and and, um, and, and I realised early on that, that money doesn't make you happy. Mm-hmm. That's such an important lesson to learn, particularly about age, you know, because many people learn that quite late, and, and if at all. Yeah, so that that, that was a something that that has stayed with me, and I'm really grateful for that. Was there a pivotal um, moment when you realised that this accounting thing is just not me? Was was there an incident? It was. Okay. So, um, Can you share that or is that private? Yeah. No, 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 no,
Uh, so that poem was just ringing in my ears. I'm off to the office and sitting there. And from that moment, when we come to the end, I somehow rather fancy that I like to change with, with Clancy. But I doubt he'd suit the office, Clancy of the Overflow. And for someone that's had instilled in him this spirit of adventure from a very young age, and parents, wonderful parents that have fostered that, here I am in this shoebox, little little uh, partitioned office thing, and it just wasn't for me. Soul-destroying. Soul-destroying. Mm -hmm. uh, for some people it isn't, and some of my best friends have continued along that path, and, yeah. and, and it's a great path for them, but for me it was... We need everybody, don't we? We need, we need the array of professions and tradespeople and everybody to do their bit. For sure. But you had much more important things in store, Patrick. Which brings me to, our school was really quite traditional <coughs> in lots of ways, being a Catholic co-ed college. Yep. With all the gender bias that goes with that. And I remember going back to economics, but I remember being one of the few girls in chemistry and economics. Because it was always the boys were going to be accountants and, and the girls, you know, were, were going to be teachers or yeah. nurses. Yeah. And in fact, I did go on to be a nurse, but I was very happy to do that. So in, um, in our school, to me, there was a real gender bias. And you address this in your fantastic book, The Ricker Racket Club. Can you tell us more about this great book, please? The Rickaracker Club is is based on a real club, invented by real people. My my two boys, Noah and Reuben. So Noah and Reuben were roughly four and three at the time when the Rickaracker Club was formed. And there was one hard and fast rule, no girls. <laughs> no girls. There were a few other rules that, that came in, including do something incredibly brave, yes. do something incredibly kind. Nice. But, but the real rock solid rule was no girls. So then what happened? I'm sure that's changed now. They had themselves a sister, little, little Gracie. Gracie was born. And really the Rickaracker Club is the story of what happened next after Gracie. Now, now Gracie is perfectly named. She's pure grace. She's pure joy. She has. Um, she does have an intellectual disability, and her capacity for joy is extraordinary. Uh, and she would, as happens in in the book, walk up to the wolf next door and give the wolf a big hug. So her, her courage, her kindness, uh, her unique joy. Uh, won the boys over very quickly oh, and won us all over and, and, it's, and the story sprung from that. So really it's, it's, it's a celebration of the joys of being a kid and the innocence of, of these rules and they're, 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 not, they're not coming from a nasty place, that's just boys being boys. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, but then just the, the power of, of kindness, if there's one thing that, that runs through all my books, it's the power of, of kindness. Yes, yeah. uh, to change hearts, and um, so that, that's how that's happened. And, and, and really, really, it's a, it's a dad. The Ricker Racket Club is a dad saying to his two sons, "Fellas, be good to your sister." <laughs> and you do it so well, Patrick. Yeah, there, it's, uh, it's done really well. Where did you know you wanted to be a writer? From the moment I could write, uh, so, so I started very young. Uh, I do remember. Uh, series powerful Patrick and uh, I must have been about five or six and I was doing the pictures back then then and stapling them together and making these little books and I'm sure mum and dad delighted in them but I'm not sure anyone else did but have you still got them I haven't been able to find them oh, no. I, I hope I hope I can find them one day mum's a little bit of a hoarder so they'll be somewhere in the house oh, good. Uh, they're still at the same place we I grew up in so yeah they'll be somewhere in that house uh, I have to find them so I started then, and then uh, I've been a natural storyteller my whole life. Uh, the, the, the vehicle for, for that telling of stories has been verbal stories and then uh, emails, love letters to Lisa, my wife, or, yeah. or whatever we've, we've gone along. I've, I've always found a way to, to put things on paper. Uh, but certainly through the, the barren accounting years and, and then trying to work out really where my, my lane was 
that had been lying dormant. Mm -hmm. And then with the birth of, of Noah, mm -hmm. uh, my first son, Noah, uh, came the flood of, of stories and the desire to get these things down to paper and, and the rest is history. So, yeah. What was it particularly about that event, Noah's birth, that opened the floodgates, so to speak? Uh, well, the birth itself, even before he was born, I was saying to work on a book. Mm. Uh, but it's, I think it's just this natural, just as uh, as we have a desire to, to, a natural desire to breathe, have food, have water, there's a, a desire to be heard and understood. Mm. Uh, and then as a, as a parent, it, it's just this this innate desire to to share stories and to to, to bond through stories. That legacy. The legacy. My dad did was the same with me and my, my grandfather. I, I, I vividly remember my grandfather declaring over me that that you're going to be an author one day. Oh wow! Uh, did he write? My grandfather. No, it was more my grandmother. She was a gifted storyteller. She, she kissed the Blarney Stone a few times. Ma, and um, kissing of the Blarney Stone gift has been passed through, absolutely, through through grandmother to my dad. And, and um, have a similar heritage in the design. There we go. Yeah, and, and I can see it in my, my kids as well, Noah and Ruben. They love telling stories and they love hearing stories. So it's, it's been passed on for sure. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Passed on. Yeah. Can you advise all the aspiring writers out there how to get started and more importantly how to keep going? How to get started? Um, I can only speak, well I could maybe I quote Oscar Wilde, be yourself, everyone else is taken. And so I can only speak from the authority of my own experience I don't have a technique or a tactic or a, or a, or a ritual that I go through. Uh, I pray. Mm -hmm. I, I pray. And um, one thing that I will say to, to people when asked this question, uh, again, I don't want to get too, too preachy here, but if you want to get creative, it helps to get in touch with your creator. That's, that's all I can say. That might be a bit controversial for some years, but that, that's how it works for me. And, and I, don't, I don't get on my knees and say, God, give me another book. Give me a bestseller. Give me a bestseller. <laughs> what I actually do is I, I surrender my agenda. So ego is left aside. Ego is left aside. Uh, any, any preconceived ideas are left aside. So I'm not sitting there going, give me inspiration here. I'm giving myself out and, and saying, God, t t take away. Use me as a computer. Use me, and if that's to be the best barista in Mornington or, or, or to be a, a go back to my cobbling beginnings or elephant washing beginnings, so be it. Uh, and so, so most of, well, really all of my... Um, Flashes of inspiration, you could say. There's that great poem by Rumi, Listening, where he says, uh, When that voice speaks, may I sell my tongue by a thousand ears. Uh, so when I'm hearing that voice, mm -hmm. uh, that, that has always followed a, a period of, of uh, prayerfulness or, or uh, meditation, uh, which just opens up that creativity. Uh, sounds easy. It's uh, uh, I know when I when I hear that voice, and I sell my tongue, I, I know that uh, there's a double emotion, joy, and dread, mm -hmm. <laughs> because, mm -hmm. because I know that I'm, I'm in for some hard work. Yeah. Because writing, it, you know, it, it can be hard work, can't it? and the discipline that's required, and you know, you may not particularly feel like writing that day, but you know you want to, you know, to put one foot in front of the other and keep going. Yeah. Yes, so, so back to the question, which was how do we keep going? Yeah. 
How, how do we start? For me, uh, I don't really start until I've heard the voice. I've heard that voice. I've had that spark of inspiration. Mm -hmm. How do I keep going? Uh, how do I keep going? I know that I won't have peace until it's done. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm listening to that voice, but I'm also knowing that it's a collaboration after that. Mm -hmm. So I need. I'm seeking opportunities to, to, to get it on paper or get it onto the computer, or, and they are taken in the busyness of my life with three young kids, and a full-time job as a physio. And it's I have to be creative just to find that time. So often it's um, my my wonderful patients, patient patients, lying on the on the physio plinth. And I'll just seek an opportunity to say, now that you've got all those needles all over you, <laughs> and there's no way to run out of here, would you mind listening to my latest? What do you think of this? Do they come back for another appointment after that? Okay. <laughs> well, normally they do. I don't know if I've managed to scare anyone off, off yet. But, um, so, so I want to hear a book I need to book in for a session. <laughs> do I have to have a needle? Not always. <laughs> Has that influenced my clinical reasoning and judgment? <laughs> Maybe, I must if I'm honest. But so I call it bibliotherapy. <laughs> uh, and so it works in well. So I'm looking for opportunities. Sometimes I'll pull the car over and send myself a text message for, yeah. for, for a sentence. Or middle of the night, up off to the computer or scribbling in bed on, on a bit of paper. I don't have a routine about how to to get these things down it's just 2am is a common time for me to receive a sentence or two now <laughs> can be a good place you can actually write it on, on, you know, scratch it into the into the wall or into the mist you write it down whenever it is uh, but the, there is a I, I, I'm in the posture of, of seeking an opportunity to find that time to write that down once I've heard that voice hmm you, you mentioned, can, can we talk about your work, who you work with, these wonderful men and women that you care for? Can we talk about that? Yes, so, so uh, two, two days a week I'm uh, working at um, the medical centre at uh, Victoria Barracks, uh, which is a tries service base in Melbourne. Uh, they are wonderful and, and um, so I've when I first started working for the military, I maybe had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about war and, and okay. the work of yeah. the work yeah, of the what, military. What oh, being a bit of a hippie, bit of a peace peace lover, uh, maybe a bit of a, a bias against uh, the war machine, or or, mm -hmm. or really whether it's a valuable service that that uh, the army, navy, and air force offer. And then you get to meet these people and hear their stories, and mm. and amazing. The, amazing the sacrifice made. Uh, I see, you know, we've, it's um, the, the plague of PTSD is is becoming more and more uh, public, more well known. Yes. As an extension of the general epidemic of mental health problems in in the world. Um, and as a, as a physio, you get a front row seat, really, and, and you're in a rare... It, it is a real privilege to, to offer probably two of the greatest needs of a human being, I mentioned, to be heard and understood mm -hmm. and to be touched. Yes. To be touched. Yeah. So there aren't many um, mainstream medical professionals that, are, that offer both. No. Uh, and so as a physio, you're in a, in a, in a really good place and space to to offer that service and, 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 and in that way gather stories. So it does feed into the other half of my career, which is becoming more than half, really, the writing side of things and the gathering of stories from the confessional plinth is, is part of that and the sharing of stories is part of that. So They're exceptionally lucky to have you. That's my place. You've had wonderful success with your book sales. What does being successful mean to you? About three bucks fifty. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember when um, 
my amazing editor, publisher, Margareta Lamond, sat me down. We, we met face to face for the first time. She's, she's based in New South Wales. And one of her first pieces of advice was don't give up your day job. I've had the same advice. So, in terms of success, it, uh, it has been humbling and mind blowing to think that uh, that's what wings are for. My first book uh, has cracked the magical. 10,000 books sold in Australia mark within six months. Wow. Uh, Congratulations. And, and then, and so we're now into our second year of sales. I'm not sure where we're at now, but has been picked up internationally and translated internationally into Chinese and Korean and mm-hmm. several other languages. Um, what does it mean to me? It, it, it means um, it, it gives me a voice, a chance mm-hmm. to talk to your love, lovely self oh, thank you. and uh, to, to visit schools and, and uh, I love that side of being a writer. Most writers are, are more comfortable in a darkened room tapping away. To my surprise, I was a very reluctant public speaker but I absolutely love going out to the schools and on Wednesday I had a full school assembly and hundreds of kids there in the audience and the ability to, to speak and, and, and share because you make that fun, don't you? Well, we're just going back to the Ricker Racket Club for a moment. Yep. Yep. And, and can we know how you make that fun for the kids? Because I think the parents listening there will be really interested that they, you know, they, okay, we want the children to do hard work, but, you know, school can be fun as well. So how do you make it fun for them? Well, the Ricker Racket Club, um, to join this exclusive, I invite everyone to join this very exclusive club, the Ricker Racket Club, if they pass the test. Uh-oh. So I read the story, but along the way we, we, we put hit pause and issue challenges to the members of, of the audience to come up and on behalf of the whole school see if they can pass these tests. So uh, following the story. Well, this is a little bit of a uh, So we follow the, the, the story uh, and one of the characters, Max, in the first week he sticks his head into a fox's hole. So I make up the little fox's hole and I find a, a kid, a willing kid, to, to come up and stick their head in this fox's hole. And the whole school counting twenty seconds, and I bring out this little stuffed fox. <laughs> so the poor kid doesn't realise I'm tiptoeing up behind him. And <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you get a lot of screams from that. We get a few of those, and then the villain of the book is this wolf next door, which is based on uh, the great German shepherd that lived next door to me, and I have the, the scar to prove. Oh. Uh, the moment when the basketball went over the fence and I went and rescued the basketball and Chance, this dog was named Chance, got me. And uh, so the wolf next door is normally, we have a wolf suit and it's normally the PE teacher or something (laughs) who dresses up as a wolf. Will you go to our school? They love you, they love you. I love it. And ours is a service school, so so you'll like it. A as a, a service school. So we have um, our schools on. So we have a lot of service families that go to nice connection for you. I'd, I'd love to come out, absolutely. I don't have business there. So the kids, it builds up and up and up. And then at the end, uh, who wants to join this club? Yeah. Who wants to learn the secret password? Yeah. So, they, so they're all keen. And then I pause it down again and say, um, unfortunately, you haven't, you haven't quite done enough here. Oh no, the kids are, oh what? So it's a case of, do not put up your hand, do not raise your hand, unless you're extremely brave. All the hands go up. I mean it, I'm warning you now, extremely what brave. Age, what age group are we looking at with the hands going up? Prep, all the way to six. So the whole school, school? Wow. is sitting okay. there. At this point, some of the grade sixes, I can tell, follow their answer, it's a bit babyish for them. Yeah. It's a picture book. So I do, I do target them at this point. So I look for the normally guy who's sort of lost interest and he's thinking, I'm going to be a bit too cool for school here. Yeah. And I'll grab this fellow and, and bring him up. So I go on behalf of the school. Yeah. And I also bring up a kind person. Uh, uh, on behalf of the entire school, let's talk about courage. And courage comes in many forms. You've already demonstrated 
great courage in standing up here in front of all these people. But the courage comes in many forms. There's the courage to admit you made a mistake or you, you know it's going to get you in trouble. There's the courage to admit you're scared of something. And there's, then there's the courage that involves the taste buds. So we go back to week three. We're listening. Remember what Zach did in week three, and he'll, he'll go, oh, no, sorry, I, I can't remember. So I get the book out again. What did, in a loud voice, what did Zach do in week three? And he'll get the book out. So Zach drank a tomato sauce milkshake. <laughs> At this point, I'm standing behind him with milk, and then I bring out the tomato sauce. What is he doing At this point, he's shaking his head, no. And the school have already started the chat without encouragement. Drink, 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 drink. So I make this milkshake, and we've got this foaming tomato sauce milkshake. Oh, And then no. I pause again and say, unfortunately, my friend um, Zach did that for one person. You're doing this for 700 people right now. So I bring out a... The, I look around, I shop around for the the largest Brussels sprout that I can find uh, and I, I bring out this Brussels sprout drop it into the tomato sauce milkshake and then present it to this oh, fellow this poor, kid. The poor kid so we've um, hopefully I, I use this originally it occurred to me anyway that this is peer group pressure of yeah. the highest order yes and so I now use this as an opportunity for this poor unfortunate kid to, if they're saying no yeah. at this point, yeah. I really esteem that courage and say, look, grab him on my arm and say, you have done something extraordinarily brave. Everyone here at some point is going to face a baying crowd of people saying, drink, 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 or whatever. That's so clever. And to so say clever. no in the face of that, Mm -hmm. It's true courage. Mm -hmm. So give him a round of applause and he sits down. Now, who wants to be a legend? <laughs> so someone else will come up. Or the kind, I'll turn to the kind. What would the kind person do now? Yeah. Order. yeah. Or, even better, maybe there's a teacher in the audience. Oh, so what I'll do, I'll leave it there because yeah. if, if the school listens to it, they won't walk <laughs> So we'll leave them in suspense. Yeah. When I first read That's What Wings Are For, I was sitting in a coffee shop with tears rolling down my cheeks. The other patrons respectfully averted their eyes. And you know you found a great book when so much emotion is evoked. Can you please tell us about your inspiration for That's What Wings Are For? So That's What Wings Are For. Um, maybe I can mention my, one of my favourite poems of all time. Uh, which is The Hound of Heaven. The Hound of Heaven, for those that don't know, written more than 100 years ago by a, a homeless opium addict in London, Francis Thompson. Uh, so he was asking the big question, how could a loving God uh, allow such suffering in the world? In, and in particular in his own life. And the penny starts to drop about halfway through when he says, maybe, maybe just maybe, you allow us in your love to, to burn and burn until we become uh, like charcoal. And then you pick us up and you create your, your masterpiece. And so that's what wins are for. I'm not calling it a masterpiece, but I, I am. It certainly came from a burning charcoal in process and, and, and uh, I was um, uh, and that process was the the great sadness of my life my, my, my son Noah has Duchenne muscular dystrophy which is a devastating condition uh, that involves the wasting of muscles and the heart's a muscle and uh, it has a it's a, it's a devastating disease um, so uh, in light of that, I was asked to write a, a book about uh, a certain blue dragon, Bluey, who, who uh, is the mascot for all the, all the families affected by this devastating disease. So I was working on another book at the time, then I was asked to write uh, this book, and 
I jumped at the chance, but I also knew it was the, there was a heavy responsibility in writing that. And it, it um, so really, you could you could look globally at that and, and, and look at the whole community in, uh, impacted by that. But really, it was a, it was a love letter from a from a father to his son. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. That's that's how it was written, and um, uh, and that is something I do say to when I go out to the schools on. I've, um, the, you've heard Rikaraka, it's quite a boisterous, joyous mm -hmm. occasion. When I go out and talk about that's what wings are for, I, I basically, um, it starts off in a, in a fun way and then I bring it back very sharply when I say, uh, I bring out Bluey, mm -hmm. you know, the, the actual mascot, the little uh, blue plush teddy, and say, I met Bluey on the worst day of my life. And to have a to have a school go from being uh, quite boisterous, mm -hmm. and the teachers go shh, shh, shh to mm. hear a pin drop in one sentence. Mm. Wow! They get it. They they get it. They get it. And from mm. the preppies all the way up to grade six, they, they they get it. And there's a real reference suddenly about about the book and why it was written. And then I explain what's happened from there, and we go from there. So it's a I still struggle to read it without um, uh, without crying, um, uh, but they are tears of um, what would I say? Um, what we I heard this line yesterday. What we sow with tears. We reap with shouts of joy, and there's there's something uh, joyous, and um, it's bigger than me. This thing, yeah, it's bigger than me. You created it, and it's magnificent. Thank you. You're welcome. You mentioned in an interview that eighty percent of that's what Wings of Four was written over breakfast with your family. And then one sentence that brought tears to your eyes took you three months to write. Can you please share that sentence with my listeners and what it was that finally led you to discover the sentence that made you cry? What it was was my um, my incredible ego. I just it went to my head. The idea of being a published author and all this went absolutely to my head. Well, you and are only human after all, come on. <laughs> but I'm sitting back there and I'm imagining red carpets. Yes. And I'm imagining walking movie up. Stars, movie stars. Movie stars. Um, yeah. so, sorry, Lisa. <laughs> Just give me a moment. It's <laughs> shocking. And here I have, I've written a book uh, for my sick kid and, and my ego is having a field day. Uh, and... <laughs> And, and at this point, I hadn't even had the manuscript finished. There, there was still. A You're strutting around. I'm strutting around. Quite a little outfit. Yeah, it was appalling. By motorcycle. Absolutely appalling. I'm embarrassed about it, the way I was carrying on in my head. Anyway, and um, so we needed. Bluey needed a reason to be doing what he did ultimately in the book, mm. which is usually find a reason for his wings. Uh, and I was trying all these sentences, about sending them off to Margareta, and very respectfully and gently she'd be saying, no, that's rubbish. And, uh, <laughs> thanks, Margaret. Thanks, thanks for that. She just knew there was more to you than... than she, was, yeah. she, she has a great... She knows how deep you she, are. Okay. She, she knows how to push the buttons and know what's right. And, and equally, my, my wife, Lisa, as well. And she, I'm also my, my wife, uh, Lisa, uh, has a, a great ability to tell me... When, when I'm writing something that's rubbish. Good. And, and good as well. Uh, so uh, the to and froing went on for months. And then I had this moment of, you complete goose, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I certainly at that moment decided that every cent associated with the book would be given to charity, which it always should have been anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and I made that decision and, and, and into some, some prayer and, and reflection. And within really minutes of making that decision, wow. within minutes, yeah. I was given this sentence. 
and, and at the, in the, to set the context of, of that time, and um, so so Noel was was seven at the time. Uh, so we've, at the time we had a crudely termed, um, well, we called it a, a year of adventure. You could call it a bucket list. Mm-hmm. Um, we were doing all sorts of things around the world. And um, at the time when I was writing this, uh, so the sentence uh, is, Bluey comes back originally, the manuscript was the, the, the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. It was broadened to, to be a, a magical uh, building filled with uh, ma- magical creatures with all sorts of ailments. They've done very well. So at that moment when Bluey looks out and, and this is when I'm reading the story to a, to a school I'll have people uh, close their eyes and put their put their hands on their hearts and feel. Which I'm going to do now. Do that now and feel. <coughs> and if you keep feeling you'll, you'll feel something, you may not feel it straight away but you'll get there, keep trying, feel something warm and fuzzy. And um, and that feeling has a name. It has lots of names, like kindness and, and hope and love. And, love. and what happens? What happened at this very moment when Bluey looked across? And I share the sentence. Bluey saw the boy's soft, floppy legs. And at that moment, something happened in Bluey's heart. And he stopped for that moment, thinking so much about his own situation. Mm-hmm. And he's, he looked rather than inward, he looked outward and saw this boy who's, who's sharing a similar path and that word empathy. Uh, that changed everything for Bluey and it helped him to work out what his wings were for. So we go on from there. Yeah. That compassion yeah. for another person. Yeah. The author illustrator relationship is such a pivotal one. Can you discuss what is important to you within this symbiotic relationship? Uh, respect uh, and trust mm-hmm. and space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that there be space in your togetherness. Uh, so so uh, certainly uh, the first two books, uh, first one, Daniela Germain, extraordinary uh, talent uh, and, and uh, the same with Nathaniel Ekstrom who's a rising superstar of, of, uh, of illustration world uh, so first of all I had no contact at all with uh, Daniela until after uh, all the illustrations were done mm-hmm. had no input into her illustrations oh. at all so in terms of a relationship it's one of trust yeah. uh, Slightly different with with the second book. There was some feedback, and poor Nathaniel. I, I saw I saw his amazing illustrations, but uh, and it was amazing that he managed to draw my three kids without having seen a photo of them quite accurately, except for Gracie wears glasses, and I just politely asked whether he might pop glasses on yeah. Poppy, who's, who's Gracie's renamed Poppy in the book. So he went back and. And put glasses on, <laughs> and then I had a look at that and yeah. thought, no, it makes you look too old now. Can you take the glasses off? So that was a bit of a diva moment from me, I suppose. Uh, but other than that, it's um, it really is letting go and, and, and not being too precious and mm-hmm. trusting. Really, it's, it's before uh, in the selection of the illustrator. That's all up to the publisher, mm-hmm. uh, and I trust Margareta. Mm-hmm. To, to make that decision, and she hasn't failed me yet. And it's been magnificent. So yeah, and, and she's, I know how she is with me as a, as a, with the words, mm-hmm. and she's that way again with the illustrator in terms of getting it right. So, yeah, what a wonderful person to find. She is great. Yeah, she's right. fantastic. What are you working on at the moment? Well, the undercurrent to all of the picture books that have been picked up over the last couple of years has been a novel uh, for children uh, called The Last Secret of Earning Pigwinkle. And I've been working on this story for uh, more than 10 years. 
and it comes and goes and then another idea overrides that but I kept coming back to the last second of anything critical. That has got, is lying dormant again but I know that I'll go back to that so mm-hmm. that there's always that in the background. That, that story is, is the story of, a, of an old man who loves to tell stories and uh, he has this great secret, great secret uh, that he wants to, he's burning with this secret to share it with his grandson, Arthur, no, Peter Winkle. Anyway, long story short, he gets invited to the World Storytelling Championships oh. in Marrakesh, uh, Morocco, uh, up against the greats of world storytelling, Professor Chin Wang from China and Lord Blabbermouth from England. And so he gets to... The, I won't give too much away. He makes the final and he tells this great secret, but the, the secret is revealed slowly as the story goes along. It's a suspense right through. Right through. And it's, it's, uh, it has been a lot of hard work, but there's also joy and I have a real sense of that one day that will happen. Uh, I am also... Uh, I've just recently finished a, a, a picture book, another picture book, manuscript that is very, very, very dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Called uh, Tiny Dancer. Uh, and oh, I'll, the Elton John song. The Elton John yeah. song. Uh, so hopefully, Sir Elton will approve. Uh, and that, that's that's really dear to my heart. I'm waiting on an acquisitions meeting on that one. Uh, and then we're in the process of illustrating, uh, and that process does involve some word changes. Uh, my next release, which will be next year, I thought it was going to be a book called The Second Sky. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it sounds like, based on this week's emails, my, my next release will be called Rabbi the Brave. And Rabbi you the Brave... Prolific, you're just prolific. You're just panning them out, actually, one after the other. It's, it's been a blessed couple of years in terms of... Um, uh, the. It, I just there's a very very rich vein of inspiration and creativity that's happening at the moment, which is really grateful. We're for very them. very pleased too, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to read them. Thank you. What do you like to do in your spare time to unwind? All this work you're doing, your, your physio work, coming out to the, the military, and your family, and you know this wonderful writing career you have. What do you do to unwind? I'm clinging to my childhood in terms of chasing a, a bouncing ball around. I still play uh, basketball. Okay. In the um, there's a there's a competition at Victoria Barracks actually. So I'm yeah. at, the, at the ripe old age of, of uh, 45, I'm, I'm, I'm taking on the, the burly soldiers in this basketball competition. Which oh, is... you need to be up on stage being brave. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I must say, I'm shamelessly. Every goal I scored, there aren't many of them. I'm celebrating them like that they could be my last. So oh, there's the fist pump, and there's the <laughs> after every every goal that's scored. And would you believe I'm still sort of don't let Lisa know, but I'm I'm sort of still playing football. Full contact. There's a there's a wonderful competition, the Recklink uh, midweek. Uh, Battlers competition. Recklink is a you may have heard of it, the Choir of Hard Knocks. Uh, oh, yes. Recklink yes. was the, the, spawned the, the Choir of Hard Knocks, and there's a football league for, um, for battlers, whether it be homeless refugees oh, or people oh. battling addiction. Yeah. So we've set up a team in Frankston, and I've been the. You are brave. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> madness, absolute madness. And so we've, I've been the, the physio, the, the, the chaplain, the, the, the halfback flank, and the water boy, whatever gun whatever's needed for that team. So that has been... There's just something primal about playing Australian rules football that, that, that I just can't let go of. So there's that. And if I ever get the chance, I'll, I'll go out surfing as well, which is... Oh, no, Isn't it great, though, to tap into that raw energy and just you know, let yourself go? Yeah, it is. And uh, with surfing, it's one of the few pastimes or sports where you spend... 
95% of your time staring at the horizon. Beautiful. Really, so you, you get a, a chance to, to unwind. And, and then it goes from this serenity to scrambling for your life. <laughs> it's great. It's been a beautiful thought, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it is. It is. It's great. So, yeah, they're probably the three main things. Do you want to remain in the children's book genre? Absolutely. I... Maybe one day a book for grown-ups, but certainly at the moment I'm loving... Really, when you're writing picture books, you are writing for grown-ups, you're writing for, yes. for, for two generations. It's that connection, to, I think, with parent-child is so special. And uh, you both learn so much when you're reading together. Absolutely. And, and I've tr been trying to make the transition from picture books into early readers mm -hmm. and I found that quite hard. Mm -hmm. uh, I might, maybe, but uh, I might need to leap from that and go into older early readers. Mm -hmm. uh, the, because to go from a picture book to an early reader is, you've got to dumb it down. You really have to dumb it down. Um, that's a crude way of saying it, but you, you do. Uh, and there are certain concepts you need to avoid and using poetry or metaphors is a, is a bit more tricky. So maybe that's not for me, that, that niche. So there's certainly the, uh, the last circuit of many people would call this for an older reader, an older young reader, uh, and then the picture books as well. So maybe I might stick to those two um, genres within the broader children's book genre for now. And we'll see what happens after that. Yeah, mm -hmm. love it. You, um, you're so insightful because you haven't actually studied creative writing or completed a formal uni degree in writing or anything and, and you, yeah. your knowledge is so vast. So is this your intuition at play again, do you think? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, really, I think it's a, it's a, it's a blessing. It's, 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 it's a... I don't want to use the word gift, but I can't think of another one. It's, it's nothing to be proud of when it's a gift. So uh, there has been... A I, I really have to disagree because so many people are given or you know receive gifts, but it's then what you do with that gift. Yeah. And so many people do not do anything with what they've been blessed with. So I, I do think that... Um, you can claim that proudly, and whoop, like I'm on a footy field. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of whooping when it's uh, when there's a, there's a sense of victory, a sense of accomplishment. Once you finish that manuscript, and you know it's you know it's, it's a wonderful thing, you know, it's just, it's, and to submit to send, and then it's off, and have such a such a beautiful relationship with. Margaretta and uh, I should mention Alison O'Brien, who mm -hmm. is also with Little Hair. Increasingly, I'm involved with her. So we, uh, we, I know that they will read it and give it the full attention and get back to me quite quickly. So mm -hmm. that it's agonising wait yeah. has, has been reduced to, in some cases, a few hours now. Oh, which is, wow. Which is great. It's yeah. pretty so clever. <laughs> <laughs> they know it. <laughs> Do you have a website or blog, Patrick, that uh, my listeners can find more about your wonderful work? Yes, there's a, a shiny new website, patrickguest.com.au. Uh, I know nothing about the technical side of websites, and a great friend of mine, Geoffrey County, has helped uh, set that one up, and it's sparkly. Aren't it's, tech people great? Oh, I'm not one of those. Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. There's no way um, I could do that. So that's that's up and running now, and there's certainly opportunity to, to email me or contact me through that. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to do that. So. Lovely. Yeah. That's great. Patrick, this is a signature question I ask all my guests. What do you wish for, for the world, and most importantly, for yourself? That's a big one. Uh, look, the first thing that springs to mind is a, is a cure for... Duchenne muscular dystrophy. I'm with you. Uh, that, that, that would be the first thing. But if I thought more about it, um, more broadly, uh, maybe I can go back to uh, Ernie Pigwinkle. Ernie, the last secret of Ernie Pigwinkle. 
So I'll, I'll give away a little bit. So we get to the end of the story and we're at the World Storytelling Championships and only this old man from Ballarat has made the final and, and, and won, thanks to his grandson. Uh, and so the, so the secret starts off as, do you know why dogs wag their tails? And we move on from there to why dogs and cats fight, the origins of war. And then he finishes with a little song, a little poem that he says to the world, and he says, um, it's a war that's continued to this very day. It's a shame dog and cat couldn't think of a way to listen and learn and be understood and love one another as all of us could. So don't carry on like a dog or a cat. You're not a baboon or as blind as a bat. There's a heart in your chest and a brain in your head. So before you lose faith, hold on instead. Hold on to your faith in the goodness of others. Never give up on your sisters and brothers and you'll see for yourself as sure as the sun that there's something worth loving in everyone. So he says that. I need a box of tissues. <laughs> oh, Patrick, my goodness, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So that's the world premiere of The uh, the Last Secret of Ernie Pigwinkle. And, um, what a coup. Oh, I'll just tend to take the news with Harris. Wow, Patrick. <laughs> Patrick Guest, thank you so much for joining me on Writer's Tech Tech for this Paris. We look forward to more of your stunning work. I totally agree with you. Hugging is what we are for. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and may your wishes come true.